0: Well, good Wednesday afternoon. Hope you're having a good week. We've said it before, but Trinity Grace hopes to be a church for those who've walked with Jesus for decades right alongside those who are beginning to explore the claims of Christ for the first time. We want to be a church that takes people's questions about Christianity and what you hear at Trinity Grace seriously. And so with that in mind, what we're going to do is start a question and response podcast every week or at least every week that we receive questions. So during the service, if you've got a question about the liturgy or the sermon or Christianity in general, you can text those questions anonymously to 210-920-0783. That number is also printed in the bulletin every week. Or you can just email me at michael at TrinityGraceSA.org. And each week, I'm going to spend some time responding to the questions that we receive. Now, as you likely know, I can't promise to have all the answers, but I do promise to take each question seriously and to respond thoughtfully from a biblical perspective. Every week, we're going to record the questions and the responses, and we're going to post them by way of podcast on Wednesday afternoons. And we really hope that this will be useful for our community, that it'll encourage you to bring your questions to the table, that it'll help you grow in your knowledge and in your love for Jesus. So this week we received two really great questions, and the first question specifically has to do with the sermon from Sunday, and the second question we got is more of a general question about Christianity in the church. So we're going to start with the question from this past Sunday's sermon first. This is how the question reads. In the passage you preached on Sunday, Jesus demonstrated his power over the storm by saying, Peace, be still, and the storm stopped, and everything was quiet and peaceful. Many times in our life, the storms we experience don't stop that quickly or at all. For example, we see with friends who experience sickness and cancer. Where's the comfort in a scenario where you don't see the storm being stilled, but rather you see the storm taking you away with no hope of healing in this life? Well, that's a really great question. It's actually a question I thought about a lot this past week while looking at our passage in Mark 4, where Jesus quiets the storm. And as you likely know, the church has wrestled with this question over the centuries, and there's so much more that can be said than can be covered in a brief podcast like this. But I just want to respond by giving us some categories as we think through a difficult question like this that might help us process it. As Christians, we confess that on one hand, God is loving, and on the other hand, that God is sovereign, that he's all-powerful. We believe that this is true, yet oftentimes we look at our lives and we experience something different. We look at our lives and we think, if God is all-powerful and all-loving, why doesn't he quiet the storms that I'm facing now? Either he's loving and doesn't have the power to do anything, or he's powerful but isn't loving enough to bring me relief. That's how the questioning goes. And I think as we consider these questions, it's really helpful to think in terms of primary and secondary storms. Now, the phrases primary storms and secondary storms, they're not theological terms. These are just phrases that I'm using that personally help me when I categorize what I experience in life. And I think they can help bring some clarity to our experiences. Another way to phrase it would be to say that we experience temporal and eternal storms. Secondary storms or temporal storms are issues and struggles that we experience in life that affect us physically or materially or relationally. We might classify a job loss or a terminal diagnosis or relational breakdown of some sort as a secondary storm or a temporal storm. Now, just because we're calling these storms secondary or temporal doesn't mean that they're not important or that they don't significantly affect us. In fact, These are the kind of storms that oftentimes bring great sadness to our lives. They can devastate us. They can cause us to question God's love and care. And it's important to keep a few things in mind as we consider these temporal storms in life. The first thing is that we all live in a fallen world. We all live in a world that's been vandalized by sin, a world where things are not the way they're supposed to be, And because of sin, you and I experience sickness and relational breakdown and devastating diagnoses and even death itself. And Because of sin, sometimes things get worse and not better. Yet, even in the midst of all of our heartache, it's important to remember that God hasn't given up on us or this world. He's so committed and loving that He came to this world in order to rescue us and to put an end to sin. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we always experience our storms being quieted on our timetable. It doesn't even mean that we're going to experience our storms being quieted in this life. Sometimes these temporal storms that we experience, they do wash us away in a sense. And it's really hard to grasp, but we believe that God is all-wise, that He's all-powerful and all-loving. And even though we don't know why everything happens in life, God does. And we believe that it's possible that God, who sees all things, might have a greater purpose for the storms in our lives than we can immediately see. Purposes for our good, for the good of those that we love, for the glory of God himself. And if you take away that possibility, then all of a sudden suffering the storms of life become unbearable. But if our all-loving and all-powerful God can have a deeper purpose for our storms, then it gives us hope that we're not suffering in vain. I like how one pastor put it when he said, If we knew what God knows, we would ask for exactly what he gives. If we knew what God knows, we would ask for exactly what he gives. But on top of these temporal storms, which sometimes aren't quieted in our life, we also face what we'll call a primary storm. Or an eternal storm. And Mark 4 points us to the idea of this eternal storm. And this is the storm of God's justice and wrath against sin. It's the type of storm that can destroy our souls for eternity. And it's interesting in our passage that the disciples wake up and they ask Jesus a question. They ask him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They don't say, Teacher, we're capsizing, or we're drowning, or we're getting beaten down. They say we're perishing. And that word perish is used in a number of different ways, really, two dominant ways in the New Testament. First, it's used for what the religious leaders hope to do to Jesus when it's used in that way it's translated with the word destroy the Pharisees and the scribes sought to destroy Jesus but it's the same Greek word that the disciples use while questioning Jesus about the storm the second way that we see it used that word is when it's described or when it describes what sinners deserve from God it's speaking of spiritually perishing or spiritual destruction and we see this word used again in one of the more famous verses in the Bible, John three sixteen, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And this is the eternal storm that God saves all of us from. It's the storm of God's justice. It's the storm that every person in the world faces, the only storm that's got the ability to truly and fully destroy us. And it's the storm that swept Jesus away on the cross, and if we place our faith in him, then we can be assured that this ultimate storm will never destroy us. So those are thoughts that don't necessarily answer the question fully. There's more that could be said, but hopefully they get the gears turning and give us some helpful categories to process the storms in life that we experience. All right, we've got one more question that I'll attempt to answer with more brevity. It's a general question about Christianity and the church, and here's the question. Can you be a Christian and not attend church? Well, I'm going to answer this question while thinking about our current context and culture in 21st century America. Of course, there's other parts of the world that experience such heavy persecution and other variables that keep Christians from going to congregate in a church building on Sunday mornings, as we understand it in our culture. So I want to rephrase this question. I'd rephrase it this way. Understand this question uh, to be asking um, this. Can you be a Christian and decide not to attend a weekly worship service on Sunday morning at a local church? And I would say that it's unwise and even disobedient not to tie yourself to a local church if you claim to be a Christ follower. We see the importance of Christians uniting themselves together in a corporate body with regular meetings from the very beginning of Acts. As the church begins to solidify, what you see happening is that they congregate on a regular basis together where they worship and they pray and they celebrate the Lord's Supper. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it says that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then again in Hebrews, you get a sense that the author uh, seems to think that meeting on a weekly basis is very important. Uh, He touches on an issue that seems to have risen uh, with the Christians that he's writing to, and the issue is that some have given up meeting on a weekly basis for corporate worship. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, the author says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And on top of all that, you see throughout the epistles of the New Testament how important the corporate meeting of the church is when Paul talks about gifts, how we need one another, how we're all part of the same body, but each of us have different roles to play. Some play hands, some play feet, some are the face, some are the ears. But we're all important. It's also assumed that followers of Jesus are gathering together regularly when Paul institutes church leadership in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1. And then on top of that, most of the pronouns that we see in the epistles are not singular, they're plural. The writers are normally addressing groups of Christians or churches, not individuals. And then, once again on top of that, We see the epistles themselves being written to specific regional churches that are experiencing specific problems as they meet together in places like Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi. I really think there's overwhelming evidence from the scripture that it's unwise and even disobedient not to attend a regular weekly church meeting if you claim to be a follower of Jesus. Because as a follower of Jesus, you need the body of believers in your life. You need other people's gifts, and the body of believers also need you. They need your gifts. And we all need each other in order to grow into Christ's likeness and to accomplish God's mission in this world. So I would say that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, uniting yourself to a church is very important. Okay, you stuck with us this long. Congratulations. Sometimes the answers to these questions aren't as simple or as short as we would like. But if you've got questions that you'd like to submit, like I said, you can text them to 210-920-0783 or you can email me at michael at TrinityGraceSA.org and we'll try to respond to those questions next week. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a good week. See you soon.